Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Andrew Hale. As we dive in today, you may have noticed that I've got a little more hair than the normal guy that stands up here. Pastor Brock and his family are away, and they said they're watching online, so good morning to them. Brock, sorry about the dig. It's just true. But as we dive in today, uh, we're going to be looking at Mother's May. This is still a part of the Mother's May series, as well as Memorial Day. So Mother's May and Memorial Day. And before we do get into where I want to go today, I want to recap where we've been for a couple reasons, uh, but mainly just to kind of bring us into where we are headed today. So Mother's May started, and Pastor Brock dove into a message about Rahab. And Rahab's story was she was in Jericho, and, and she was in that community, and she was in that city, but she was in a part of the wall. Her home was carved into the walls of the city. And she was one who had labels put upon her, partly because of actions that she had done or or experiences she had had, but she had this label that she was a prostitute. And so we know that she has just this mindset. She has this approach that people have towards her. And Rahab, in spite of that, even in contrast to that, chose another identity. And her faith resulted in the salvation of her family from which she is the great, great, great grandmother to King David and eventually whose lineage leads to Jesus. The following week, Alyssa brought her Mother's Day message and Alyssa brought it as only she could and she focused on mamas who are fighting battles. All of us have battles that we're fighting, whether men or women. But to know that we are fighting and that we are using even language that maybe doesn't always fit in a friend's church with this peace background that we have and yet to know that as we go through life is that a helpful way to express that we have a need for Jesus and sometimes we have to just fight to even believe that's possible and so then choose that pursuit and it's only in God's ways are we able to press on in faith then pastor Brock came back the following week and focused on Ruth and Rahab had a son. So Rahab from the first week had a son whose name was Boaz. And he was known as a redeemer. He was a restorer of families. Which is quite fascinating considering the parenthood in which he came out of. And so we have this lady by the name of Ruth who is an outlier. She has a status that is not even of Israelite lineage. Not to mention coming in and then trying to be present and living amongst these people that look at her as this separate Moabite. And so then she, as she got connected to Boaz, was brought into the family of God by her faith, by her submission to her mother-in-law of all people. She believed in the words of those who she honored. And then Pastor Brock talked about Margaret Fell. Margaret Fell was the mother, if you will, of Quakers. She was the most influential woman in Quaker history. Her home housed meetings and ministers of the gospel. Her faith led her to intercede and fight for the flock of Christ in front of kings 
and in the harshest of prisons. Her faith and her love for Jesus shine. So as we look ahead today, I'm going to be focusing in on a woman by the name of Anne Hutchinson. And Anne was a mother. Anne was a woman whose courageous actions helped set the stage for an America in which religious freedom became a reality. And so with mamas in mind, we do remember those who have paid the ultimate price. Those who have given their lives in the line of duty for the freedoms that we hold near and dear today. Our country is different because of these folks. And so in 1971, just to give a little bit of background about Memorial Day, what is this thing? I know we, we celebrate and recognize those who have given their lives. And even as we've had veterans up here to help lead us in hymns, Memorial Day is, is about those who have passed on. So in 1971, Memorial Day was a declared a national holiday by an act of Congress, though it is still often called Decoration Day. But over a hundred years, over a century prior to that time, there were local springtime tributes to the Civil War dead that were already being held in various places. Nothing organized or orchestrated. It was just folks who came together and said, we know there's folks who are buried here. Let's honor and recognize what they've given. And one of the first times of this occurring that we know of was in Columbus, Mississippi on April 25th, 1866. There's a group of women who visited a cemetery to decorate the graves of Confederate soldiers who had fallen in the battle at Shiloh. And nearby were the graves of Union soldiers, neglected because they were the enemy. And these women who were disturbed at the sight of these bare graves, these women placed some of their flowers on those graves as well. So even as they were going to honor and recognize, celebrate, and commemorate these folks that gave their lives that were family, friends, cousins, fathers, brothers. They were willing to say, hey, we may not agree, but I recognize what you've done. I may not be on the same page as you. We may even be at head-on contrast, and yet I recognize and acknowledge what you've done. And these women went out of their way to recognize and celebrate these people. And so to ensure the sacrifices of America's fallen heroes and that they are never forgotten, in December of 2000, the U.S. Congress passed and the president signed into law the National Moment of Remembrance Act, which created a commission, and that charter of them is to encourage the people of the United States to give something back to their country, which provides them so much freedom and opportunity. And so by encouraging and coordinating commemorations in the United States of Memorial Day and the National Moment of Remembrance. And so this national moment of remembrance encourages all Americans to pause wherever they are at 3 o'clock p.m. local time on Memorial Day, so that'll be tomorrow, for a minute of silence to remember and honor those who have died in service to the nation. As a moment of remembrance founder Carmela Laspada states, it's a way we can all help put the memorial back in Memorial Day. And so we have this Memorial Day mindset that I really want to dive into today. And while we're commemorating and recognizing Memorial Day, I can keep saying it, we're wanting to keep in mind our mamas. And so this Memorial Day mindset of, of living life and knowing that we experience what they died for, and we remember what they lived for. And so if we focus our mindset on legacy, yeah, that, that can be important. 
But more so, I want us to focus on and have this mindset of, do we apply this mindset to our lives every day? Or is it just something that like, yeah, we have a couple holidays and it kind of, oh yeah, I remember why we have this country and I remember what happened and I, yeah, I have a, a relative or I, I, I just, can it fall out of place sometimes? And can we kind of lose our way and lose our focus and lose our understanding of what we have with something that was fought for? I would say in a similar way, do we apply the scriptures to our everyday lives? Do we have this mindset of I have things that have been put into me things that have been put into my life, and do I apply them? Do I apply what my mama taught me? My mama taught me how to set the table, how to chew with my mouth closed. Actually, that might have been my dad. That was a pet peeve of his. But, <laughs> but how to make my bed, how to do laundry, how to cook. One time my mother was teaching me to cook, but she was teaching me to cook over the phone while she was driving, I think it was the semi-truck at the time, and I didn't even know what I was making. She was talking me through this thing, and I'm like, I don't, I don't, mom, what do I do next? And she's talking me through. Turns out I was making biscuits and gravy, and it was great, but <laughs> credit to her for that one, right? But to have this mindset of, of, do I remember what has been put into me, whether it's by a mama, whether it's by someone else, whether it's by those who have died, whether it's by the scriptures, whether it's by the Holy Spirit. Do I just live life and just kind of do my thing and try to do what's right and try to do whatever's logical or reasonable, or do I have something more to life than just what maybe makes sense? Usually, what makes sense to me, I usually still mess up. So for example, yesterday we were attempting to do a project at home and we were taking our columns on our front porch and we were, they're round metal columns and we wanted to box them out with wood and measured about, went to multiple places to get lumber, got it all figured out, borrowed someone's um, saw. That was a hard word. We went to someone's house and borrowed their saw, so thank you, Skip, for that. And we ripped the wood down to size and got all the measurements, like quadruple check, right, because you're supposed to measure twice, cut once. Well, we measured four ten times, and we were... We were sanding them down, we were chopping them up, and we were staining them. And we went out, well, we should probably double check these. So my dad made a little base, and, and we went, and it didn't fit. It was too small. So my quadruple, ten times measuring checks was not enough, right? And so I didn't put in what I needed to for this moment. I had a couple mistakes. And so now we get to go back and buy more wood and put more expense into this and try and make it happen, right? So Tony Robbins is a life and business strategist, and he says, we live who we believe we are. Our lives are a reflection of not your goals, not your desires, but your standards. And we do whatever is necessary to maintain that identity. So even if we have goals, or even if we do have desires, things that we're looking ahead towards, how we actually live the day to day, even as we're hoping for that, maybe we're on an on-ramp towards that, but the standards that we choose to live by actually determine what those outcomes and what our identity will be. So Proverbs 31 is a typical scripture we refer to and we point to as, as trying to describe a woman of God, someone who is seeking after God and taking care of the home and taking care of business and taking care of whatever the different elements in life might be. And I encourage you to check out the passage if you haven't read it. 
And sometimes I think maybe we overemphasize just this chapter because there's so many other examples of, of just one, godly living for everybody. But two, we have so many examples of women throughout Scripture and throughout history that we can point to. So this passage is a, is a helpful one, and we're going to be looking at, for a brief moment here, the end of that chapter. So Proverbs 31, 26 through 31. And these are sayings from the mother of King Lemuel. So coming in towards the end, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So these aren't just relegating women to these whatever roles we have put them towards or, or tend to find our assumptions lead us towards. These are women who are getting after it. These are women who are taking care of business. They are the leaders when it comes to taking care of the home and, and raising kiddos, and how do we go about life in these ways, and how do we... If, I, if I'm busy at business, who's taking care of the kids in our homes? And we know that these women are doing that in this time. And yet we know it's not just relegated to that. There's so many other ways, and we're going to look at a woman by the name of Ann Hutchinson. We're not quite there yet. A couple other folks I do want to recognize, just thinking about this passage and how, how it demonstrates who they are, not just a cone of men, but to say this is a description of these women and let's set them free into who they truly are. One person is Sarah Edwards. You may have heard of Jonathan Edwards. We've talked about him before a couple different times. And he's got quite the legacy. And that includes one U.S. vice president. And this isn't just his kids. This is his generations. One U.S. vice president. One dean of a law school. One dean of a medical school. Three U.S. senators. Three governors. Three mayors. Thirteen college presidents. Thirty judges. Sixty doctors. Sixty-five professors. Seventy-five military officers. 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. And yeah, that's Jonathan Edwards' legacy. But he was pretty busy out and about. Who was the woman that raised these kids? Who was the woman who made this possible? Sarah Edwards. And Sarah Edwards is the one, we may have again heard the story where she'd be at home and she had all the kids at home and she needed a moment. And so she would take her apron, she'd take her skirt and flip it up over her head. And the kids knew, you don't mess with mama during this time. Mama needs a moment, and mama's got to give with Jesus. And there's nowhere in a house with a bunch of kids except for flipping that up over her head. And so some mothers may think that they don't have an impact. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's a wrestling. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Like, okay, we have these messages in the Bible, and, and I'm, I have the Holy Spirit saying, we've got to make a difference. You've got to make an impact. You've got to go do this. You've got to do that and get involved. And I've got too much going on with my own little kids. But staying at home and raising babies. How was the legacy of Jonathan Edwards possible? Many say it was because of Sarah. An example similar to this in my own life, there, a couple weeks ago we had the community cleanup day. And I was fortunate to be able to help be a, a leader with that as well as with one of those groups that went across town here in Fairmount. And so in order for this to happen, I, we needed someone to watch our kids because Jessica works and she had to head off to work. And so my sister-in-law had been helping to watch our kids here recently. And so my sister-in-law, her name is Ashley. Ashley went out of her way to get her and her daughter not only to our house to watch our kids all day, but she made sure to get there 
extra early so that I could be freed up to help with the cleanup day. And so after the day and, and after going through the day and getting home and finding out kind of what her experience for the day went, I sent her a text and I just said, Ashley, thank you. You know, I know for you it was a bit a challenge just even to be able to be here and be here early. But the, the direct correlation of your effort and willingness to take care of my kids is that there were two towns and 500 plus students and people in our towns that were impacted because Ashley came and watched two kids. For me, that matters. And that's the role that Ashley has taken up, is to be that woman who takes care of little ones, to be that mother. And much of my job, as Jessica can attest, leads to commitments in the evenings. And so, Jessica, I recognize you as a mama um, to take care of our littles when I'm gone. And Kaylin's becoming more and more aware of when I'm leaving. And Dad, I go bye-bye. Yeah, Dad, I go bye-bye. And so, thank you. After a full day of work, being with a bunch of kiddos, and then to come home and take care of our littles. Especially, it always seems to be bath night whenever I'm gone. I don't know how that times out. It's not by design, but it's bath night. We're getting day in Hutchinson, but I got one more lady. My mom's here today. <laughs> Her name's Luann, and I want to make sure you meet, and I want to make sure you meet, because if you don't know, the name Luann the correct way is L-U-A-N-N, but nobody else ever spells it that way. It's always L-U capital A-N-N, or it's L-O-U space A-N-N, whatever. There's so many different variations, but L-U-A-N-N. So I want to make sure you two connect after service, because they can just have this moment of, ah, oh, we are together. <laughs> but mom, just to say that I love you, and I know that I'll never know fully what that meant. But I look forward to learning more about it. Not only all that you've done, but then showing up at our house and being willing to put stain on a piece of wood that now we're going to have to not use. But um, dealing with. The son who wanted to conquer you as a kid, I'm told. I don't know if that's really still a driver, but maybe it is. If it's so, we can talk about it. But So, looking at Anne Hutchinson. And Anne Marbury was born in England in 1591. So we're doing a bit of a, a history journey. And this is a, a sketch of Anne. And she was the daughter of Francis Marbury, who was a deacon at the Christ Church in Cambridge, and Anne's father believed that most of the ministers in the Church of England had not received the proper training for their position, and he said so. And so he was promptly arrested and spent a year in jail for his words of dissent, but he was not deterred, and so he continued to speak out against these folks and was arrested several more times. So it's no surprise that Anne developed an interest in religion and theology when she was very young, and she was not afraid to ask questions about faith and the church. Anne was homeschooled and read from her father's library where she found that there were as many questions about faith as there were answers. 
Anybody ever feel like you have all of your faith questions answered? I don't. I'll put my hand down. There's always another one. What about this, God? And God, where were you in this space? And God, what in the world happened here? God, why didn't you protect them, but then you did protect so-and-so? Or God, why would you allow that addiction? Or why would you do this? Or why would you do that? God, where are you in this? Honest questions, real questions. How does this make sense? God, where are you glorified in this situation? I think those are legit. So at the age of 21, Anne married Will Hutchinson, who was a prosperous cloth merchant. Anne took on the role of housewife and mother. And the couple considered them as part of the Puritan movement, and they followed the teachings of the Puritan preacher John Cotton. Anne bore 15 children and learned midwifery, a skill that entitled a woman to special respect and esteem at that time. She also, in the midst of this, maintained her interest in theology. And so at a time when Puritans could not worship freely in England, they chose to follow the Reverend Cotton and immigrated to Boston in 1633. So Anne and William and their children were among the 200 passengers who arrived at Massachusetts Bay Colony aboard the Griffin in the fall of 1634 in search of a place where they could worship freely. The Hutchinsons bought a house in Boston and a 600-acre farm. And Anne received a warm welcome at first due to her skill as a midwife. So when the men of her church formed a Bible study groups after church, Anne invited her female friends and neighbors to her home to discuss and to look at the teachings of local ministers, to talk about the scriptures and the Bible. So these ministers taught their parishioners that they could only find God by following the teachings of the Bible and that they, only they, the ministers, could interpret the Bible correctly. So the Puritans' interpretation of freedom of religion meant that only that they would tolerate the neighboring colonies and their freedom to worship in any way they saw fit. So John Winthrop and the rest of the founders in the Massachusetts Bay Colony dreamt of a settlement where freedom to worship meant you did not think or do unless you were acting in accordance with the strictest interpretation of the Bible. So the freedom to worship, yes, but the freedom to think the freedom to actually experience God, to be led by the Holy Spirit, not freedom in that. So at her meetings, Anne stated that she believed anyone could communicate directly with God without the help of ministers of, or the Bible, that there was a Holy Spirit connection there. Anne, who was very intelligent at a time when women were not encouraged to develop their minds, was soon offering her views on a variety of topics. Her meetings became very popular, and there were even some men who began to support her, even important men like Sir Henry Vane, who would later be elected governor of the colony. Anne was an eloquent speaker, and she began to draw large crowds of women and men. So by the summer of 1636, so she arrived in 1634, this is not even two years later, the Puritans began to view her as a threat. Small women's prayer groups were allowed by law, but large groups listening to the teachings and opinions of one individual leader were considered disorderly. As her following grew, the magistrates decided that she was a dangerous woman who must be stopped. Does this have any echoes of Jesus at all? Jesus was this, some guy who came from somewhere else, and now he started speaking, and he started making this cult appear, and people of the way, and now we've got to stop him because he's a danger, he's a threat. Interesting how there's echoes throughout history. 
So the laws of Massachusetts Bay were, were based on biblical teachings, and the colony's leaders took seriously Paul's commandment that women be silent in public meetings. Again, a question we can discuss and get into as we look at faith. But Anne's supporters insisted that her meetings were private gatherings. And so in August of 1637, Anne Hutchinson was condemned by a conference of ministers. She was charged with sedition for undermining the authority of the ministers and heresy for expressing religious beliefs that were different from those of the colony's religious leaders. She was then tried by the general court and the first female defendant in a Massachusetts court. And though she was 47 and pregnant, she stood tall in the courtroom and faced her accusers, 49 well-educated and powerful leaders of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, presided over by Governor John Winthrop. And there was no lawyer to defend her. She used the Bible and the men's own words to skillfully defend herself, and she stated that the holding meetings in the home to discuss religion had been a common Puritan practice in England. She told them that God had spoken to her directly, and only God could be her judge. This infuriated the Puritans. In the end, the verdict was against her, and she was banished from the Massachusetts Bay Colony on March 22, 1638. And she was labeled, again a call back to Rahab, a woman not fit for our society. With her family and 60 followers, Anne left for a more tolerant Providence plantation in Rhode Island. And so while Anne Marbury Hutchinson had not succeeded in changing the laws of her time, her courageous actions helped set the stage for an America in which religious freedom became a reality. She was one of the first. She stood in that space and said, I believe in faith, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that the Jesus you're doing and the Jesus you're talking about, the Jesus you're promoting as these holy leaders, it's just not what it's about. And so in 1922, so we went from 1638 to 1922, a statue was erected in front of the State House in Boston. It depicts Anne Hutchinson and her daughter, Susanna. And then in 1945, which is over 300 years after her banishment, the legislature voted to revoke Anne's banishment. The memorial with the statue reads, Courageous Exponent of Civil Liberty and Religious Toleration. A quote from Anne says, As I understand it, laws, commands, rules, and edicts are for those who have not the light which makes plain the pathway. And so we can get so locked in on the liturgy. We can get so locked in on the tradition. We can get so locked in on the business practice. We can get so locked in, and this is how I operate. Again, I'll go back to our wood project. I got so locked in on this is how we needed to do it that I didn't open up the thought that maybe we didn't need to cut the wood. We could have just had bigger posts. But I was too locked in, too focused. And as we were doing the recalculations last night with my dad, we were doing all of the fractions and the three quarters plus seven eighths and trying to do all the math. And we were making up our own math and we made the numbers work, right? So I'll invite John forward here as we move towards our closing hymn. But as he's coming forward, again, we're going to this mindset. Yeah, I apologize, Greg as well. Greg, come forward as well. 
this mindset of, of yeah, legacy, and, and what is the legacy I'm going to leave, and what is the life that I'm going to live, and how am I going to act, and am I going to remember what my mama put into me? Am I going to remember and commemorate what those who have died for our country, and died not just for a country, but for, for love, and for commitment, and family, and friends? To be living that we experience what these folks died for and remember what they live for. And so in a similar way, how we live and die to ourselves today will enable our children and our children's children to experience what we died for and remember what we live for today. So ask yourself, am I living with a memorial mindset? Am I living to my own standards or am I willing to learn and live up to another standard of life? Not to become legalistic or to become shamed, but to become free and full of life. A life that is different. And a life that moves toward Jesus. think about families and friends and we're friends with a capital F it's pretty awesome but there's a tie that binds us to this church and Christianity and Jesus and I appreciate every one of you must be the tie that binds must be
God, as we head out of here and head to, whether it's our celebrations or time at the cemetery or wherever we might be over the next few days, and we want to commemorate and recognize those who have given that ultimate price, and that includes Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.